Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray. And if you're a multifamily investor, active, passive in the industry, this is the YouTube show and podcast designed especially for you, breaking down all the latest research reports, data, articles, and throwing out some original opinions from the Gray Capital team. I'm joined by Dr. Matt Bossonkel, Director of Communications and Marketing. My name is Spencer Gray. I'm the president of Gray Capital. Fascinating reports. We got a print from C on the CPI from the Bureau of Labor Statistics, as well as a report from John Burns Research and Consulting. I'm really going into this whole idea of student debt relief being canceled and how is that going to affect the economy and renters going forward? I mean, it's a major issue. Just think about all of the renters that have student loans that they need to pay because they took out the loans. We're also talking about a piece from Fannie Mae, consumer confidence in housing may have plateau. Let's see if that's the case. And from RealPage, apartment demand rebounds as rent growth further cools. Again, you are at all in the space of real estate investing. You stick around, like, subscribe. Let's get into it. Welcome back to The Gray Report. Thanks for joining us. Matt Bosnagel, co-host. Making it all happen. Yeah. Producer, reporter, everything. Matt. Good week. Yeah, this week was pretty easy. I yeah. knew I knew the uh, CPI was coming in. I'm yeah. like, I'm gonna put that in there, and then I just saw it some, you know, it's, uh, some articles just flowed right in, and uh, and uh, so so it's really interesting. That student loan uh, article is uh, particularly interesting, and I just think I'm I, I've been thinking a lot, and the, what the articles that came across this week and some of our discussions is like what is how to forward project things hmm. we were talking yesterday about like you know what what is it the factors that make a market on the upswing or on the downswing yeah and um and i think that the same thing is true for the market in generally in general and things like inflation and this student loan as a factor the jobs market uh we're getting a lot of information and we're getting some information about like apartment demand and how that relates to rent growth as kind of a leading indicator yeah a few leading indicators that uh that came across this month and some of them are positive some of them is like, let's wait a little bit longer, but no, no doom, no yeah. doom yet. No, I think it's a great point of, you know, what are those leading indicators to give us as a little bit of an idea of what, you know, demand is going to look like. It's yeah. not going to like provide all the answers because one, you know, we don't know everything. We don't know all the data points and mm -hmm. things change, you know, daily, weekly. I mean, we talk about it all the time and we're like on a three week cycle of going from hard landing, soft landing, recession, yeah. no recession. Um, and, and that's okay. We'll never know. And that's what makes it interesting. But to make some really well-informed decisions, understanding like just the direction of, of where the wind's blowing yeah, I yeah. think is important. And there's a lot more physics, I feel, I feel like, when it's coming to a lot more uh, easy to project when you're talking about market fundamentals and the fundamentals of the apartment market rather than the investment environment, which seems like a uh, just, just a little more dicey, a little more unpredictable. Absolutely. Because I mean, you look at the stock market that's, you know, pricing in, you know, yeah. it's, it's a discounting mechanism. So it's pricing in, you know, future events that may or may not happen and get right and get wrong. Mm -hmm. um, but then you look at, you know, well, if we're looking at rents, you know, especially CPI, I mean, in, you know, rents themselves, you're looking at a rent, you know, growth report. It's inherently lagging because the data is up, you know, a month old. Then you look at CPI, which we're going to just jump into here like oh, in a second, sure. the way that they calculate it, um, it it's a very much a lagging indicator mm -hmm. 12 months of of lag and um so you know if you don't know those, that those nuances you could um you make some wrong conclusions yeah yeah so, uh, but let's look at man again totally. this is lagging also let's look at um the new cpi report put out by the bureau of labor and statistics now this is for the month of june um but it looks like basically you know the headline here is year over year um, top line inflation is has grown by three percent. Yeah, that's great. Um, that's insane. Bad. The fall off of uh, more than a percent from last month, the year over year. Now we're including everything in the year year. It's not it, it's not a monthly thing, but it is. And it's compounding. Drop. It's compounding off of you know a lot of growth. So it's not like prices have gone down. Yep. you know, but you know the rate of growth has gone to a much more normal level, and. This is still with shelter rising, mm -hmm. albeit at not at a fast rate, but shelter inflation is really buoying the rest of the CPI print, which isn't yep. surprising to us because, again, you know, there's that lagging indicator. And if we understand that, we can look back 
to the data that we have over the last 12 months. And mm -hmm. you and I were talking about before the show, you know, it's really that that drop off really wasn't didn't take place until like September. So this yep. isn't really surprising. But 3%, man, 3%. That the target's two. I know, but three percent seems so low already. I know it does. <laughs> and you know, this is and why all this matters is you know the Federal Reserve at the last FOMC meeting said we're going to pause, but there's probably going to be two more twenty five basis point rate hikes. Yeah, that. So and and I remember you know we we heard that it's like well let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. The CPI. And when you see this, I don't think that he's going to do one next month. No, or they, they, they seem wants to get that shock in. But if you look at this is this really and when we'll see um in the in the following article on from the Federal Reserve yeah. Bank of New York, he's they're looking at inflation persistence and um and it looks like we're headed in the negative. If you if you factor in uh how rents are calculated, that swings us pretty much to the negative. Yeah. Um and yeah. it's like so it shouldn't be surprising. Yeah. So you know you heard from, you heard from Matt here. So <laughs> yeah. we, we think it's going to be um, on the October release of September. What do you, when do you when do you think? Uh, not to put you on the spot, but you know, oh, okay, it, we're looking. You know, let's oh, it's going to take too way too long. It's call. frustratingly long. It, by September, we may be uh, instead of having eight percent year over year random primary shelter inflation, we'll probably have like six or five, which is still pretty high. Do you, you think that by September, it'll it'll still be that elevator? You think your thing is going to come down? Do we have to wait until G, uh, like December and January for it to really bottom out? I think so. Yeah. I, because the CPI rents, they don't swing as quickly and uh, as a rent, like the rate growth that we see from like yeah. market rents. And they, it's a very smooth curve. But if you look at it in relative terms, the, the incline in rents was enormous. Okay, so this from this apartment list data, but it also overlays um, CPI, um, rent of primary residence, and just the top line inflation. And and so this, we can kind of see what happens. So you know, let's just look. Also, has you know historicals from the last couple of years, starting in twenty eighteen. You can see, you know, again back in twenty two. You know, let's say I don't think it's exactly twelve months, but CPI, you know, shelter, it's about a twelve month lag indicator. Yep. Let's just say that. So, you know, we're going back to, we're looking at June to June of 2022. And, you know, this isn't interactive. I can't give you the exact number, but I mean, we were, we were, we were, five. We were coming off the crest. Oh, like, yeah. okay. you know, we were starting, that's why it's, yes. and that's so it makes mm -hmm. sense. So in, in today's CPI report, you know, it's like, oh, it's cool, but it's still growing. It's just the rate of growth has started to cool, but we don't, this, we don't come down this slope really, really till later in the year. And it's not until, you know, it really gets, you know, into next year where it starts actually, you know, going, um, well, there's a couple of months that were negative well, going down to the month over month. We can see that really, again, it's, it's September until we get to that, um, that month over month negative rent growth and not, yep. it really doesn't get down to negative 1%, um, until November and then December. So we really are going to have to wait. I don't, Later in the year, yeah. What I do you don't think, think that CPI is going to ever dip to the negative because so many things are kind of smoothing out the the sharpness of that. But I do think that yeah, we've got some time on the on the shelter. You don't think it's going to? And, and I think yeah, on the right. shelter. Yeah, but I don't it, think it'll go straight up negative. It may go negative on the month over month basis, but when you're talking about year over year, I don't. I'm not sure if it'll ever dip. But but it, I mean, it could. I just think there's so many things that smooth out the extremes that you see. Um, in, when you're comparing to, uh, I, I think that's a good point. You're probably right, but it's not surprising that shelter's still up. Yeah, and but we could imagine that it will be, you know, a fraction of what it is mm -hmm. um, in the next coming months. About we could have nine months, and really until it's back to like maybe three point five mm -hmm. or five. Yeah, you know, that it that mean, it could normal be, range. Yeah, it could be that long. Yeah. I, I think you're you're absolutely correct. Just the way that CPI is calculated. And so, again, you know, going back into the context of how is this influencing the Federal Reserve, mm -hmm. um, the bond market, this isn't like Matt and I have figured this out and it's a secret. Yeah. Like, it's it's well known. Federal Reserve has whole white papers on different, you know, how they calculate it and the different, you know, yeah. it's like, it, it's, it's like this for a purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, this is the way they want to look at it. So knowing that the shelter is the main driver right now and we know that it's going to fall off. Regardless of like what shelter does next month, yeah, like mechanically it'll fall off. Me grow, yeah, exactly. You know, is so is the idea of this twenty five, two more twenty five basis point hikes. 
which, you know, borrowers are already kind of screaming for paying if you're on a floating rate loan right now. Mm-hmm. How much of it is, you know, signaling? Because, you know, they've got optionality or do they think, you know, 20, you know, what's another 25 basis points? Let's just ram this thing home and just let's do another one. Maybe we don't have to do two, but yeah. I mean, there's so much, we talk about this a lot, it's signaling and it's the psychology, which is really more powerful than even where they put the rates uh, of indicating what they might do in the future. And once they've indicated yeah. what they might do in the future, the market takes that information and prices it in, does their, a lot of their work for them, and then they can decide, do, you, do we need to do that or not? You know, they keep it high, I think. And we've, you know, I've always said, like, keeping it high still hurts people. Yeah, yeah we're not, no, no one's talking about the Fed funds as being reduced. It's yeah, just, let's yeah. just keep it at the, what, you know, the five and a quarter where, where it's You don't at. get that psychological message if you if you keep it high versus like, oh, they raised yeah, it Yeah, I, I think, I mean, we're not maybe, we're not the hopeless abandon. Yeah. Abandonment point of where it's like, there's no end in sight. We yeah. really have to make decisions. We, we have, we have to, we have to cut, we have to make some hard decisions because I mean, we hear this, um, from folks in the real estate space all the time. They're like, well, we just got to wait a little bit longer. We, we, mm-hmm. we've got six months. We're good. We'll just wait this thing out. Rates are going to be lower. And, and the, for most of the evidence points that, that it will be, mm-hmm. um, but that mentality also means that like, well, we're going to be reinvesting and that's an inflationary mentality of like, we're still ready to go, ready to invest. But, you know, does the Fed need to really kind of break the backs of that type of thought process and get people to a point, um, a breaking point, an inflection point and where people are going to cry mercy yeah. of where like, we're, we're done and you whenever know, we're, not, we, we're out of this business. I, this was in... The, the jobs reports that were released last week and late kind of last week and maybe maybe this week. Um, yeah, last, yeah, last week. Yeah. AD, uh, ADP and then the actual jobs report. Yeah. It was really fascinating because ADP was like 400 some thousand, mm-hmm. which was a, like double the estimate. Yeah. For like huge shock, 10-year treasury, all the yields went, spiked, mm-hmm. which was not great. And then, but then the real employment, not real, but the actual government report that yeah. from BLS came out and it was like around 200,000 some jobs, yeah. which was a little bit below the estimates. A little below. It seems like the the amount of jobs creating are, is trending down, although they are creating jobs. Yeah. Um, what I've also heard in some of the discussions is that I think it's called jolts. It's these job openings tracker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These job yeah. openings are not, um, are, are are not increasing as as yeah. robustly, or maybe decreasing even, um, which is kind of like forward indicator that uh, employment is not bad, but it's it's not growing as much as it as much as it was before. There is a cause and effect to having higher rates. I think. In well, it's like yeah, exactly. I mean, it's shocking that unemployment. I mean, unemployment dropped. Mm-hmm. You know, further dropped because I think participation. I th- I think went up, and I was just looking for that. Um, you know, looking for the labor participation rate. Um, yeah, I mean, it obviously it dropped down in the pandemic. Um, let me let's zoom in on this chart real quick, if, that, if that's appropriate. I mean, it's not it's not great, but I mean, it is it is trending upward. We're not mm-hmm. back to pre-pandemic levels. Um, I, don't, I don't know what this real flat line is, but, uh, you know, I guess it's not great. It's not horrible. I think we they want to see that get up there a little bit. Um, but... It's all signs, and we talk about this a lot, Matt. Mm-hmm. Of just the economy is like still really strong in a yep. very weird, uncomfortable way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think that the folks in real estate are start are feeling it more so. Where like the tech industry was feeling it last year, yeah. And 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 which again, tech in that type of investment is a, is a leading indicator and is much yep. more speculative and real estate's a f- slow moving object. We talk about this all the time, Matt. It, mm-hmm. it makes sense. Well, and, and I think tech's still hurting a little bit. You know, I'm reading articles about it is, yeah. about guys that get fired. They're like, oh, I'm looking for 600K a year. It's like, oh, they all went over I'm to threads. for 200. But it's like, all, but like all the guys that fired got fired from thre- Twitter or not all, yeah. but like they all got hired over threads. Yeah. Like I, I haven't heard too many stories of like, employees, te- people working in the tech industry are, mm-hmm. are like hurting because there are, yeah, they're, yeah. they're still getting jobs. And non-tech jobs, non-tech. Or, or other, yeah. or other companies or yeah. they're, they're, you know, they're working for an AI company, you know, mm-hmm. right now. Um, but, you know, and then the broader tech sector, you know, is still having problems outside of AI. AI is like, you know, 
it's going up like a rocket ship in many cases. But um, it's the uh, but the seven big um, you know tech leaders you know yeah. your your Facebooks um, you know Amazons you know those are all are doing really well and those have recovered and mm-hmm. are really outperforming. Um, so you know they've recovered, but now it's like real estate's turn. And yeah. you know, spec just from a standpoint of you know we know volumes are down so much. Mm-hmm. Um, so much of the industry is based on transactions. You know, brokers, insurance agents, yeah. syndicators. You know, the, a lot of their income is derived from transactions. Oh yeah, good point. And that's down what seventy eighty percent this year, which yeah. means that folks in commercial real estate incomes are probably down seventy to eighty percent this year. Yeah, I saw a post on LinkedIn. I don't even know who it was. It was, but it, it was like you know, be thinking about someone if you know someone working commercial real estate. You know, make check in on them because like you know they might be going through a hard time right now. Oh wow, yeah. And you don't think about it because everyone is you know in the business world and real estate. Yeah, you know, it's all you know kind of not like super macho, but a little bit you know like yeah. you know super Stiff best strongest mindset and like you know gonna get through no matter what. Which is you got to have a good strong attitude to get through stuff, but. Doesn't mean that everything's okay. Yeah. And so, you know, to everybody out there, because I know a lot of the folks listen to this podcast are working commercial, you know, working commercial real estate, not mm-hmm. just investors, but they're operators, they're in the industry. Um, hope you're all right out there. Yeah. We're gonna get we're gonna get through this. You know, it's a time to be smart. I also think it's time to, you know, you might exploring, you know, different, you know, lines of business, different ways to go after it. It's also if you hadn't planned, you know, it's always good. You never know when music's going to stop. Mm-hmm. And you need, you should, if you hadn't had this mindset or, or planning prior to this point of planning for that rainy day, having that emergency fund, you yep. know, you, you, you should have, and maybe now's the time to think about it for the next time if you can get through this. There will be some people that just got into this industry or have been in this industry for a while whether they're going to decide to retire or move on to something different because it's like there's no money to be made right now. It's not as attractive and you can't support yourself. I mean, most brokers, you know, work on commission. Yeah. That's what hurts is it's just, it's, there is so little movement at all. You know, there's so little, even if you're thinking about buying or selling, there's so many, you know, just as Maybe people will stay with a the job they have if it's not going great. People stay with a building that they have if it's not really great. And um, I think that there's something to be said about, you know, cutting your losses as bad as it sounds or, or you know, just not kind of clinging to something. Um, and and you were talking about like forward looking, you know, looking forward for the rates and stuff. And, oh, yeah, rates will go down. But maybe even if rates go down um, quickly, it still might be worth it to uh, to figure out another solution yeah. rather than just doing the same thing. Yes. Yeah. Things are different now. Well, I, I maybe we, we've talked about this on, on the on the podcast recently. Um, I've talked we've talked about it internally, but you know, there's the book that was it came out probably early two thousands or so. Is like you know, who moved my cheese? Oh, yeah, and um, and yeah, we've talked about it. And you know, are this you know the typical value add strategy? Like, is it gonna? Yeah, of course it's gonna work again. You know, is it the typical ways that we were buying deals and business plans? Mm-hmm. You know, they don't look, they may not be working right now. We you know we're really not yeah. finding much that pencils at all. Uh, and yeah. so what, so what if the cheese is moved? Mm-hmm. That opportunity no longer exists. What are you going to do? Yeah. And it, it's always moving. It's always moving. Well, what's the one, the one constant is change, <laughs> you know, gosh. you know, yeah. I, you know, and, and uh, further in some of the other reports that came off is, is talking about, you know, demands increasing and maybe rent growth will follow, but. Um, but you know, the context of that is that, that operators are dealing with still increasing expenses, I th- which I think is relevant in this inflation discussion. If we're yeah. talking about CPI is it seems like the real hurt of expenses was felt in 2023. Yeah. The bulk of the number, if you're going by the numbers, the run up in inflation was maybe 2022, but man, this year I've been hearing a lot about yeah. expenses way more than, than last year, not just in the office, but in the newspaper. Yeah, no, I, I have too. And a lot of it is just like at the rate and pace that like contracts and prices are updated. Sometimes I think, you know, things are done on an annual oh, basis. Yeah. And like, you know, last year they didn't increase maybe. And so this year it's even like an even bigger increase. So like the sticker shock continues. Yeah. Um, you know, util, I mean, the big areas that people are seeing are, you know, utilities have just been, you know, incredibly rough. 
we were like we were we were on, we were on CoStar um, yesterday, Matt, and we were we were looking at some notes on some properties that are in special servicing, um, you know, because they they're they're somewhat delinquent on their loans, and some of the and and they, there's typically notes of, and some of them are from the borrower on why they are delinquent, and um, and you know, there's probably some other issues going on, but Wallace claimed is you know um, utility increases. Um, it's a lot of these fixed co- expenses yeah. that you can't really do much about. So, I mean, utilities, property taxes, insurance. Yep. I mean, like there's not a whole, I mean, there's a little bit maybe you can do to some of those. I mean, you can appeal your property taxes. Sometimes it works. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it doesn't. Depends on where you are. Um, utilities, I mean, yeah, you can, you know, try to be more efficient. Um, that can cost money to do that. Um, it doesn't happen overnight. And if you can, you should, but like kind of on the margins. Yeah. Not overnight. And then um, insurance, I mean, yeah, you can shop around, but I mean, like, it's not going to be like you're going to find something for a fraction, yeah. you know, unless you're going to be underinsured. Um, so then you're not even getting into payroll and, yeah. you know, in turn costs and because everything else. Yeah. Like vendors and renegotiating or, or oh yeah. It comes up and they're like, hey, this year. yeah, it's been over. What if you're on a two-year contract? You're one yeah. year, you know, and hey, it's up. And maybe last year you were able to say like, hey, we need to keep it the same. They're like, okay, well, like, well it's been two years. You know, we've had, you know, 9% inflation last year. Yeah. Whatever they average for this year will they be. They have to pay you know? their people and their supplies, you know. The, Everybody. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's where this idea of, and the big question and why we're talking about CPI is, you know, we haven't talked about, okay, see some deflationary pressures, raising mm-hmm. could be going down. But then there's all these other things that are going to keep popping up that are going to keep inflation a little bit sticky. Yeah. Um, you know, like unemployment is still low. You know, these prices are still increasing and that mm-hmm. continues to feed that feedback loop. Yeah. Um, it doesn't seem like we're in a complete wage price spiral, but like, you know, wages are still, you know, cranking up. Yeah. Um, prices are still moving. You're talking about sticky inflation. We could talk about that Federal Reserve in New York article. Let's talk, well, let's talk about it. Let's yeah. go there and let's get into student loans. Yeah. Because um, the question they ask is, where is inflation persistence coming from? Where is it? Um, well, I was thinking, what I mean, used cars, maybe. Semiconductors, eggs. You've heard it. Who can forget those fraught, eggless weeks oh. of February 2023? Remind us of the dark days. <laughs> is that the answer? Is eggs? Is eggs is inflation? No, it's not those. It's friends. You know, I'm sorry to apologize for... It's our fault. It's our fault. <laughs> ...for, like, burying the lead a little bit, but it is rents. Um, viewers and listeners of The Great Report all know full well that, and we've just said it, rent of primary residence is the most out-of-whack metric in the consumer price index, Fed, and the Fed knows it, and it shows it. Uh, it basically says if you're looking at core inflation, housing... Now, this, that's, that is the, uh, this bar graph. So you can see a separated into different colors, different factors that are contributing in either in the positive or the negative to the run-up in inflation and the moderation of inflation. Right now, we have housing. Um, they, they lump housing together, but for all intents and purposes, this is rent. Rent is the one that's driving these housing prices right now. Um, and it is, it is contributing. If, if it were accurate, they have, they have made this, it's called, they have made another metric called the multivariate core trend that kind of corrects for these housing delays. Basically, it means that housing flips from positive, from contributing like positive 0.65 to negative 0.1. So if we are really accurately calculating rent at this point and figuring it into our our calculation of of core CPI, then um, it would be be negative 0.1. Um, it would be much. It would be much lower. A, a, a full swing. A, I'm sorry. A full swing of 065 percent. That's yeah. huge in the context yeah. of the entire inflation. Yeah. For just a such a tiny chunk. Yeah. Of, so that's what. So that's so that's what it would be if if we were looking at CPI more in real time or rent. Yeah. Exactly. Growth relative CPI. And the real upshot to all this is is that they. I mean, I think they they have their multivariate core index has inflation at, in the negative. Um, I'll have to look at the at the line graph, but um, well, basically, uh, it okay. It's not it's not fully in the negative, but it is, but it is definitely trending negative. Now, I think that that was what that bar graph was saying. It's like how much is these each of these factors yeah. contributing to the trend? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But um, clearly falling off and falling off maybe more powerfully 
than it uh, than the kind of top line numbers. So, so we're saying we're saying it's rents. Yeah. Now, well, but you know, coming back, we. What about the the more than a year or so? I mean, we know if rents are going to go down, you know, mm-hmm. so we know that like in a couple months, within a year, it should drop down. Yeah. You know, when we talked about, you know, we wages, we talked about some of these contracts, mm-hmm. um, you know, what what else? Because, you know, it's interesting, you know, you hear there's a lot of different opinions of it's going to be higher for longer mm-hmm. um, or we're going back to 2019. I think it's, you know, probably somewhere in the middle, yeah. moderately, you know, moderately higher. Yeah. But I, I don't, I don't, I see the argument for like, it's not going to be down to very low rates, like mm-hmm. very soon without a major downturn in recession, which I think is going to have to be caused by some black swan that we're not aware of right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and if not, we're going to see a moderate inflation, but I, I don't see, I don't see it. I mean, we're again, we're, we're down to 3%. Yeah. So like, that's not, I mean, pe- there was discussions of where like 3% should be the inflation target. Yeah. Well, I mean, you remember that debate? Well, yeah. And I, I remember, you know. What's wrong with 3%? It's still part of the discussion. It's higher for longer. Get used to it, kind of. There, but it's higher, but, it's, but it is higher 3%. Higher and if that, in, but in but what, I mean, just, what's the base, what's the, what's the model? What are the inputs to get us now back to 5%? Because yeah. that, that's going to mean we're going to have a lot more inflationary pressures What's that going to come from? You know, we're not yeah, seeing the rent growth that's anymore. A really good point. I because like short of if we're talking core, you know, that takes out gas and food, um, it's hard to it's hard to see. There's always things you know I mean, that swing. Onshore, I mean, onshore. I mean, onshoring is big. Yeah, I mean that is going to be inflationary, but that's that's going to be a low burn, you mm-hmm. know, over time, and and probably going to be you know good for you know the economy, and it's going to yeah. be more isolated in different markets. It's it's going to be inflationary for like in markets like the Midwest, mm-hmm. um, because it's going to be a lot, lot more jobs coming in, a well, lot more, you know, a lot more economic activity, which mm-hmm. is kind of fine. The Midwest is usually like a little bit below growth, so you know. Well, and we were and we were just talking about this before, as um, is the fa- global factors. You know, yeah. If, yeah. if China is massively stimulating, if there's still inflation in Europe, there's still it's it, it, a lot of times. Well, that's the thing. The, the the trend sort of, if you look at China, uh, whatever indicator that could mm-hmm. be. I mean, but they're 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 like on the brink of deflation right now. Oh, okay. China, they're Man. deflating. They are, they're they're really trying that hard. They're, they they they're stimu- China's stimulating. Yeah. They're they're printing money because there's so much deflation in their economy. Hmm. And so on one hand, it's like there's enough global deflationary pressures, and you know, China's is again, it's it's not the United States, but it's one of the world's largest, your second first. You know, economic powerhouse. Yeah, they have a you know, there's deflationary forces coming from that large part of the global economy. Um, when what does that tell about you about the trend? And then when they're stimulating again, one of the world's you know largest economic powers, if they're mm-hmm. pumping stimulus into the economy, yeah, um, which is inflationary Good for us. Yeah, so it, it, it's <laughs> exactly it, it. It's it means that you, can we really have a big crash and demand drop off so much? Yeah, okay. When there's still so much stimulus yeah. going on, can you bring back that bar graph because it may help figure out um, wh- what are these big factors? Um, so if if you look at it, the biggest factor that that you can see on the side of the moderation is shelter in the in the core inflation bringing inflation up. Um, on the run-up, the biggest it factor for core inflation was the motor vehicles and parts. Um, I don't know that much about motor vehicles. I knew that the computer chips were making ha- cars harder to build. Yeah, so same. that was, yeah. And, 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 and I think also people realized during the pandemic, like, oh, cars are worth a lot. <laughs> I do need that. Well, it became, but then the amount of debt that, you know, consumers have on oh, vehicles yeah. right now in, in, in Vehicles right now are like more unaffordable than you know, like it, it's like a, the single family home. I am, the, the the monthly payments for a car right now, if you get a new car, are crazy. I told my I keep putting off getting getting a new car. My car as it shifts into second gear, maybe it's third. I, but I pat myself on the back every day I drive yeah, it. I'm yeah, making money. Yeah, you're yeah yeah yeah. It's like ching yeah seriously yeah, yeah. seriously yeah. See that sound. <laughs> It's the sound of money. It it, yeah. it 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 really is right now. I mean, it's like yeah. you know, it's like you could want to buy a car right now, but it, it's just like buying a house. A lot of people want to buy a house, want to get a car, but it's it, it's it's not cheap. Yeah, yeah, it's not cheap. Um, so and that's a good point. So so what of these categories 
that that we're seeing is it you know whether you both use cars and shelter those are so hugely determined mm -hmm. by interest rates and i'm thinking about this whole thing you know you're talking about what is what does Powell want to do? I think that if he keeps it higher or if he raises it, that just gives him a, yes, it's like makes him feel tough. And I, I think that's yeah. such a big thing. Yeah. Yeah. But I also think it gives him a bigger tool to lower it down. And 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 we haven't seen that. And and I remember talking about this like six months ago, you know, if these problems are caused by interest rates, all they got to do is dial it back down. Um, I, I haven't been thought, thinking about that too well, much. Well, and, and we don't even know that the problems are even caused, you know, yeah. It, it goes to show how strong, again, how strong the economy is, how strong the demand is for housing that I yeah. mean, you can, that is incredibly sensitive to interest rates and rates can be risen to where they have been. I mean, mortgages are, you know, 7%, 8%, which I know, you know, go back to the late 70s, early 80s and, you know, yeah. that, that was normal. Seven, late 70s and 80s, that was the aberrate, you know, that's not, that was not a normal time in, in history Yeah, that we're not necessarily going back to, but. It's really expensive. It's all relative. Things are all relative. You can't say, well, because people say, like, actually, rates are still low compared to, you know, when I remember my when my parents, you know, bought their house and, yeah. you know, or when I bought my first house. And it's like, OK, that's that's your relevance. Yes, yeah, the businesses are set up. The deals are set up for this environment, not for the 20 years, 20 years ago environment. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I mean, when, how far we want to go back? Yeah. I, I mean, again, I mean, yeah, I mean, around. The long-term average, if I'm remembering right, for like, you know, general interest rates, like historically going back hundreds of years, if not a thousand years, yep. is like 5%. Yeah. So like we're we're not like too far off, mm -hmm. you know, from 5% right now. Um, so like, yeah, rates aren't like abnormally high in that context. Or so I would not call them low. I would call them higher than average over like the long historical context. Yeah. But a very high relative to how the economy has adapted to a low rate environment exactly. over the last, yeah. you know, decade. And plus. all this stuff, you know, set up for, it's, almost, it's like more trusting or, or, or things again. If, if interest rates are a, are a, uh, an expression of risk, you know, and, and maybe back hundred years ago, things were maybe a little bit more risky. Um, they, oh yeah, absolutely. Th things were more, yeah, ab absolutely. Things were more risky. That was getting a little in, out of my depth there, <laughs> philosophically. <laughs> it's a, it's a, it's a, it's okay. Um, well, Matt, I want to, okay, before we go on to talking about student loans, because yes. this I think is all, it's all in the same, I think topic what we're talking mm -hmm. about, talking about housing demand, how it, this is all how affecting multifamily, whether from the borrowing side to, you know, rental demand. Um, but another thing that I, I don't, I, I think this is going to be resolved, but you know, the potential, um, uh, the Teamsters strike for you, the UPS workers, mm. uh, I, I don't know if you've been following you know, the story. So, so there's are. been huge trade negotiations, um, between UPS represented by the Teamsters, it's the union shop, mm -hmm. um, and, and UPS, you know, they're going for, um, you know, obviously pay raises. They're at a deadlock. I think, you know, the, the Teamsters and the employees basically walked away from the table after UPS made an offer. They're like, no, that's no, no thanks. Mm. Um, they move around a lot of stuff. Yeah. Supply chains. Yeah. Um, there's obviously other sources to get stuff moved around, but UPS moves around a lot of stuff. And again, I think it's short term. I don't, I don't think it's, you know, it's going to materially affect things, but... You know, when we're going by month by month, play by play, and every couple, you know, every new data point moves things. Yeah. Um, you know that that could be something that you know would be like we didn't realize, weren't really keeping our eyes out open for, and all of a sudden we could have a slowdown in you know goods deliveries. That's not not not, yeah. it's not China related. It's just an internal like a labor dispute. I read somewhere that people get more amenable to the idea of unions when economic times are good. And, or at least like there's, it, things are going well, it's fine. You need, and that'll help me get a little bit more money. When times are good? When times are good. Because, because that is saying that like, hey, things are good. I should be getting more. Kind of. And like the, and my employer, a lot like you've got the money. This like, is the logic that I thought was. And then with, but when times are bad, well, I got to get a job. I, I, I don't care about union. I just need a job. Yeah. That's, yeah. that, yeah. you know, there's a logic there. But I, I do think that when it, I mean, was it was it the Biden administration got the in uh, the railroad strike? Mm -hmm. You know things were that big, mm -hmm. and they had to step in because they knew the implications of stopping moving things. Yeah, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen in this case too. That yeah. if it even gets close to that, I think the government's going to step in. Yeah, yeah, and do something and be and say like, look, 
UPS, you need to, no, I don't think the government, it's not the government's like job to do that, but mm. you know, um, they, they see it as if it's an existential, ex- existential threat to I, yeah, I, inflation. I, and I, again, the federal government, they're paying, look, think about the interest the federal government is paying right now. I think it would hurt the economy more if the, if the strike, the, the strike continues rather than, I, I think that whatever concessions they give. It's not going to really bump up the shipping that much. If the real pain is mm. things aren't getting moved around. Yeah, no, I don't think it's the cons- yeah the shipping price isn't going to get bumped up. But yeah, yep. people stop moving things around. Just the last thing, and then talk about student loans. Yep. I'm adding another thing, but you know the whole, whole war in Ukraine. It, yeah. You know, it's 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 very you know inflationary in general. We're spending a lot of money. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of you know arms manufacturing. It's just it's it's been disruptive. Now a lot of that's priced in and sort of normalized. But if that stops. Which, you know, who knows? I think that most interests in the United States want the war to keep going, you know, indefinitely. You know, we don't longer have, you know, wars in the Middle East. We can keep pumping whatever into. So we got to yeah. have some conflict um, to keep, you know, eyes peeled somewhere else and, you know, Lockheed keep, Martin. Yeah, keep all the government manufacturers factory running yeah. for sure. Got to keep, you know, got to keep making stuff. You know, yeah. we're, you know, got to make that artillery ammo. We got to, you know, got to make one some more able One for me. Why, why, why not? Um, make out it's, it's, it, it, Anyway, yeah. it's being driven by you know, pro, you know, profit at this point, yeah. and um, so I don't think that that's it's going to end anytime soon because exactly because of that. But it, if it does, that would also be a turning off the faucet of some inflationary pressures. Yeah, which yeah. was basically the reason why they said initially that inflation is no longer transitory is because miss me. Here we go. Right. Um, is because oh, this war in war in Ukraine. Yeah. Inflation. That's the that's the problem. Um, so that you know, those are just the those are those are the we're putting stuff on the board. Well, yeah, we don't know. You know what's, know. what's the waiting? But it, this is that's what's going on. Does seem though general trend going down. Jones, nice yeah, general trend is to deflation. Okay, let's talk about student loans. John Burns, research and consulting. Um, you probably know. Um, you know, the Biden administration passed. You know, basically an unconstitutional executive order for um, got to basically forgive a bunch of. Um, government student loans. Supreme Court said you can't do that. Um, not surprising. It's a happy turn of events for student borrowers who love the idea of paying back. <laughs> if you love paying back loans, then you were you were yeah. Well, the, yeah. There's not you know what's what's going on in 2024. There's not like a there's not like a political event that's happening. Yeah, they got in, plenty of time in, no, in November to do something to do something else. Can't get like you got to get it to a certain demographic. Um, any anyway, but so this is you know in an ideal world. Mm-hmm. Borrowers would have been, you know, pocketing and escrowing that money because it's not for sure. Yep. I don't think any of that happened. No, these are kids. Even you know, even thirty-five. I was going to say they're kids, but I mean, like a lot of them are. Yeah. I mean, I guess if I mean they're thirties. Damn, I'm one Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'll tell you, I Matt, we're like we're like we're closer to forty than thirty. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, I don't know, <laughs> but I don't like. No, but uh, uh, I I do agree, and I you know I was one of one of these these borrowers, and um, you know I'm I'm still on like this income based repayment plan, and and so it's not it, it wasn't that huge. I think that that some of the some borrowers are it, it's going to hit them a lot, some a little. I yeah. think some of some borrowers have not availed themselves of all the uh, payment plans and opportunities that are offered to them. So so. Uh... T- tell me a little more about that, man. I mean, so like, what? Not you don't have to get like too deep, deep plan, into your in, your situation. Yeah, but what are the payment plan? They you you sign up. I think that the uh, lenders make it hard. Yeah, <laughs> they don't want you on it. They want you to pay as much as they can. Um, but you go and and you pay a percentage of your income, and they calculate you know how your disposable income and how based on like tax filings, and it takes out that percent. And as far as I know, you keep paying that for twenty years, and they will that then the loan will go off the books. Um, oh, and, just what you pay like this is what I can pay. And, yeah. Okay. Hey, if you make a, if you, make, and that's already available. Yeah, it's already available. If you make twenty grand a year, you go on the income based repayment plan. There's a good chance that you're not going to pay anything at all, mm-hmm. depending on what your, you know, what your loan is and what your situation is. Um, I think, you know, it's it, it that's that's a lot to say. A little that's giving short shrift to the people that are really paying a lot, because ultimately, when John Burns crunched the numbers. He's saying that the average loan payer is paying four hundred dollars. Now, there's a Moody's article that I'm pairing this with that I think that people should also um, read. They their numbers closer to two seventy five mm. uh, a month that they're paying, but still, that's a lot of money. Um, it, it, it just just to add every month, you know, where's that money going? Where would that have gone anyways? Um, 
a huge chunk. Of, and now this is what I was talking about, Spencer. It's like, how much did this drive inflation, student loans? How much did this drive rent growth? Because if rent is the, the kind of the biggest payment that people are making and they suddenly have $400 more a month, well, they can get $400 more of an apartment. Yeah, I, I, I don't think that, again, yeah, I don't think they were saving it. And so, you know, did they, and it would be, a, it would have been a bad, um, they couldn't have, I'm trying to think like those debts, like when they qualify, mm -hmm. when they, they qualify, like that would still show up, I would assume in their like income qualification or. Yeah, probably. I don't know. Um, but I. Actually, I don't think so. But I, one, one really uh, important data point here now, and I, I had to go elsewhere with this yeah. was the education data initiative has some data on um on the age of borrowers like well, a lot of demographics on you know kind of how much each what these borrowers are like and 34 percent of the 18 to 29 age group has student loan debt 22 percent of the 30 to 44 age group seven for 45 to 59 one percent for 16 over so the younger demographics, those that are most and more likely to rent are those with the most student loans which really isn't a surprise. Yeah. Um, the total 43.6 million have federal student debt. Now that bumps it up a little closer to, uh, it's a little higher if you're including private loans, but, um, essentially, you know, the average federal loan, uh, student loan debt balance is 37,000. There's a lot of people, um, a lot of people in, in the right age groups to rent are, um, are, are being impacted. Now, it, what's interesting in, in this, and John Burns is, is a, housing largely and it does lightly talk about potential impacts on the multifamily market but really it's focused on the kind of inflationary and broader economic impacts yeah i left it some like really quick math yeah. you can just so like a four forty three point six million borrowers you know so if i was on average you know i took a 200 dollars like you know payment yeah and you know, not the 400 mm -hmm. just like 200 it's eight point seven billion dollars a month in economic. You know, so if they were spending that money, so true, not saving it, which you know the mass majority were just spending it. They're not yeah. saving it. It's between eight and sixteen, depending on you know how you want to pick it. Eight to sixteen billion dollars of economic activity every single month, and now it's going to have to be going to pay down um, loans. Yeah, I, I don't know if paying down loans. I don't think that's really going to be generating any economic activity. It's not like the federal yeah, government is getting that and reinvesting it. I don't. Yeah. It's, and, and it's so hard. It gets like muddy and, and kind of diffuse if you're, if you're thinking about like the benefit of the paying loan. Someone's got a benefit. I'm not arguing that they should be forgiven, you know, because yeah, yeah. again. Oh, I am. I think forgive all loans all the time. Yeah. Let's have a jubilee. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would be, that would be the nice thing to do. And there's, yeah, yeah you can make an argument, but it, the argument is inflationary. So yeah, it's like, you yeah. do this and then like everyone's purchasing power goes mm -hmm. down. And then again, the moral reasons that to not do it is, you know, Matt, you are a PhD, you know, that has a job. Yeah. You, why should your student loans be forgiven mm -hmm. versus, you know, this is like, this is like the, the narrative or this is the, the time point. Yeah. But if I went to a trade school to mm -hmm. be a plumber or whatever, electrician, and I took on a lot of debt to go to trade school. Mm -hmm. I'm, my loan's not forgiven. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm trying to work. And, I'm, and what about the guy that already paid his loans off? What if the guy already paid his load off? He was responsible. But one thing that, Matt, we continuously continue, we continue to learn is that our economy consistently uh, accommodates those who make the That's true. biggest mistakes and errors and mess up the most. That's true. Where's the Federal Reserve guidelines for workouts for student loans? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like you you took on way too much debt. You overlevered yeah. on some office building. Well, you if know you the worst. The worst. The, the the more risk you took on, the bigger break we're going to give yeah, you. Yeah. And you know it, it's just it's absolute moral fa failing, um, and create creates a moral hazard in a huge in a huge way of saying it's okay to take on debt and take risk because we're going to bail you out. Yeah. And the, that's we the economy is not going to function. Markets aren't going to function yeah. if we have that type of, of well, system. Even though it yeah. seems nice to have like you know a bunch of safety blankets or I don't know a crawl and harness. Yeah, which I, is great. I think that there's a there's something. Also, I'll just say lame about student loans giving kids these loans without really, you don't really know, even, you know, even in grad school, it was a far off thing. It wasn't, it's not like a product or a car or think this is your education. It's always assumed that it is an inherent good and you're not really equipped at that, especially when I was at 
when I was going to grad school, yeah, go get more education. Yeah. It's who's, more, who's more, you know, who is preying more on American youth in society? Is it the payday lenders or is it Sally Mae? Yeah. I mean, really, if you look at the effect, is it the payday lenders who are, yeah, charging a stupid interest because, you know, you're getting advance on your paycheck? Or is it the group that's sponsored and run by the federal government that is influencing kids to take on massive amounts of debt that, that they, they, they can't get out can't of? get out of. You could never. You can't declare bankruptcy and get and get out of a student loan debt. Yeah. Um, I'm sure that they'll pass laws that'll make sure that it's transferred to your next of kin. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't. So, yeah. And so it, it, it's, yeah, it's, un, it's unfortunate. It's, it's unfortunate. Yeah, it's unfortunate. It, but I don't think that anyone was really, a, like, it seems so far-fetched when they even announced it. They were, like, forgetting people. So. Well, I mean, Biden himself was like, yeah, they'll probably won't let us do it. I forget what he said, but he's like, it's most likely unconstitutional. Yeah. And they're like, correct. It, to kind of go to this Moody's Analytics um, article, it, they do really put um, put a, a very fine point on it, uh, a little bit more specifically than the John Burns and connect it to the housing market and to, um, really, I think, to the multifamily market. And they said, um, and I just want to read this whole paragraph. Um, in a recent study by Moody's Analytics chief, Mark Eco uh, chief economist Mark Z Zandi and his team, as many as 5 million student loan borrowers were need to resume making payments close to 275 per month on average, amounting to nearly 0.25% of GDP under the assumption that total household income does not change by the end of student loan moratorium and the percentage of total income needed to pay rent stays the same, the monthly reductions from resuming student loan payments will slash any financial buffers, forcing households to cut back on discretionary spending, face difficult household decisions such as trading down or even having to share a unit with friends. And on average, a median income household spends about 30% renting so for places with large, where large rent disparities exist between class A, class B, and C, taking 275 out of that monthly budget may force families to trade down. So trading down, that's one. Getting roommates, maybe instead of getting an apartment by yeah. yourself, really maybe even staying put instead of deciding to move up. Maybe you had a bump in income, but because of that 275 or however much you're now paying, maybe it's 1000 Now you can't move up because you're just uh, limited. I, uh, there are all these scenarios that could drive down apartment demand. I don't think that this is going to be offset because the point of John Burns's article was this is going to maintain the renting population. People, this will exacerbate the barriers to owning a home. I don't think that that is enough to counteract at least the temporary effect that's going to have of people yeah. getting all that money cut off. Yeah, I, I think it, it's a long term, short term. Yeah. And um, again, it, it, it's so frustrating what you know the administration did to folks you know in this 18 to 29, but that's a large percentage, you know, 18 to 29 year olds. That's the voting block that they want to win over, that they want to have turnout at the polls. Yeah. And this was all about just getting that demographic group, you know, excited to show up, you know, in November of 2024. I don't believe that. You don't believe you don't believe <laughs> that. Kidding, guys, it's well, I mean, it's fine. They may, I'm sure they it's it's they thought I was good, but they knew oh, it's totally they knew that yes. it probably wouldn't work. They admitted that and they knew that it was going to. It get was part blocked. of his campaign promise. And so in, in, in all of the commentary from left and right are like, he kind of has to do this. You have to do it. Well, yeah, he. Yeah, but he could have done it through Congress. Yeah. yeah. And they, they controlled like both houses of sure. Congress. So. It, it was is disingenuous. Like, I, yeah, I believe that they wanted it to probably happen, but they knew it wouldn't happen the way that they did it. But yeah. what it did is it gave all these 18 to 29-year-olds who are incredibly irresponsible, they were like, I've got 200 to $400 extra a month in mm -hmm. my pocket. I'm going to go either burn or whatever. Or it all happened at the same time where rents were increasing an incredible amount. Yeah. And all of a sudden they're like, sure, okay, I think I can afford it because I resistance. think I've got an extra two to four hundred dollars mm -hmm. because, you know, the student debt sucks and, you know, it's going to get canceled. I heard I thought I'd already, I mean, they don't, they're, it's, it's, they're not nuanced enough. Yeah. I don't make our generalizations. There's a lot of smart folks in Gen Z that say they're more nuanced <laughs> than we are, Matt. Um, they think that they're in the clear and then all of a sudden they're going to be like, nope, sorry, you don't have that income. It, it, yeah. It's ours. And now they're in a position where they're paying rent where maybe they can't afford it. Mm hmm. And then, you know, it's, whether it's collections issues, delinquency, bad credit, an eviction on the record, it, it set up a lot of their youth to fail. Yeah. That's, that's, that's pretty frustrating. Yeah. They're going to have to make adjustments that they could have made. They could have been living in that B class apartment. It could have been fine if they're like, I know my budget. I have, I have this obligation and I need yep. to work within my means. They had a false sense of what their liabilities were. They thought a liability had been taken off the, the, their books. Yeah. 
it and and I you know going back to multifamily, I'm still thinking. So we had this population where they were very amenable to to the consistently raising rents. There was no hard ceiling. There was no any kind of negative feedback uh, when when rents were raised. And now you know we're going. We may see the opposite effect. And I wonder, you know, they're saving money or not having to spend money. That doesn't have as much of a uh, impact uh, psychologically as suddenly having to spend money. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's yeah. it's not like they gave you $400 a month. Yeah. They just didn't take it. Yeah. And now that they are starting to take it, you're going to notice that, um, I think. And, that's, that's point, and that may affect decisions a little bit more, but that's just a... Yeah, and... and uh... Yeah, it reminded me of the, of the stimulus checks a little bit. I don't know what the, you know, it's not the, a good direct correlation. But yeah, yeah, stimulus, yeah, exactly. Like that that problem, that was, that was a bigger psychological, and that's what people were talking about. Mm-hmm. They weren't necessarily really talking too much, but I mean, they were, um, but it wasn't that heavy in mental image as you know, free money. Yeah, yeah, free I things. agree. Matt, Fannie Mae, bit of peace, consumer yeah. confidence. Yeah. Anything else on this? I don't want to no, look no, no, that's, that's, that's a good pin on for sure. Fannie Mae consumer confidence in housing may have plateaued. We, it's been amazing the how much confidence there has been, the demand in housing. Um, maybe it, it has uh, plateaued according to Fannie Mae, which uh, so, you know we're we're watching you, Fannie Mae. Yeah. So this is a I I I just wanted to outline the the trajectory, the kind of uh, larger trajectory. You know, we're definitely in still a, a seller's market for sure. Um, but if you look at, they have a, a nice little graph here, and they. A frustrating seller's market. Like it shouldn't. It's not supposed to be a seller's yeah, market. Yeah. Oh, totally not. And but the way that this pla- so the plateau they're talking about is not like a plateau of happiness. It's definitely like a, a, a valley, more like a valley of a, a plateau of sadness. Um, <laughs> now, uh, if we're looking at this, it graph, is valley. It is not plateaued. Yeah, ex- that's a good point. Yeah. Why did they say plateau? Uh, plateau. Of well, in the bad time. That yeah, yeah. Well, anyways. What are they? Um, what I, what I was struck by looking at this chart is that since at least 2012 and and probably longer than that, consistently more people thought that it was a good time to buy a home rather than a bad time to buy a home. But in April of 2021, these lines crossed. From then till now, people think that it's a good time to sell, uh, or I'm sorry, people think that it is a bad time to buy a house. Now, the numbers for selling are, um, are, are about equal. If they oh, think it? it's a, or, or it gets messy. So, yeah. If you measure good time to buy against bad time to buy, that's a lot. You get 100%. But there are um, plenty of people that think it's a bad time to sell. At the same time, they think it's a bad time to buy. That makes sense. Yeah, it would totally makes sense. Because then, yeah, you got to go buy. But anyways, we got to buy it. These crisscross. So the, the general like optimism about the uh, uh, about buying a home, it it became, uh, it, it turned into the negative essentially. Yeah, but people are still buying homes. And there's, yeah, there, it's, and that's, that is a good point. And that's where you get into the idea like relative, it's like relative to what, um, I, I wonder if this is a function of, um, you know, of low market volume. If so many people think it's a bad time to buy and, there yeah, is are listing their house. You know, the golden handcuffs. Everyone's got a yeah. you know mortgage rate below four percent. So there's a lot of people selling right now. Yeah. Um. And but there are a handful of people that still really want to buy. And then someone who's like needs to sell. And there's just yeah, there's enough buyers and sellers. You can still have price stability with low vol- low yeah. volatility, um, and low transactions. I mean, and again, that's not too dissimilar. It's a little different, but it's not too dissimilar. What's going on in the multifamily space? Yeah. Is that um? I mean, still, still meant. Mm-hmm. The prices that we're seeing on some assets, not all, we're seeing some like deviations in, in like different niches here, here and there. Um, and man, it's competitive in Indianapolis still. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't make like the reality that some of these sellers and brokers, you know, the the planet that they're living on, I am not familiar with it, where it is, in what basis. <laughs> um, and it, it's, uh, I don't think, you know, we don't know what the price should be. We know what we think is like a reasonable price to pay for it. Yeah. You know, based on like just doing it and uh, having investors and doing a lot of deals and watching the market constantly. Yeah. And like it's or so we're so far like well on on most sellers. deals. There's a couple of deals that were close. Yeah. So, but, but they're the the big ones. Oh, interesting. But we're seeing. Don't tell anybody this. 
we're in the our typical like range of you know I don't know call it fifteen on the low end to sixty million dollars. Yeah, still like there's a lot enough. There's enough buyers in that range, whether it be ten thirty one, somebody just aggressive, whatever. Like there's still enough buyers that are like bidding it up of where it's like, kind of like a medium size. Yeah, medium sized middle market, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it's on the bigger deals, the institutional deals. Now I'm talking of you know, seventy five. Over a hundred million dollars, not as much competition. Even though there's a lot of institutional money that needs will need to get deployed at some point, a yep. lot of those big players are pencils down right now. They're they're not transacting, so it's in that higher higher price point um, where I think they're the most opportunity we are seeing is in deals that are ninety million and above. Yeah, that's so that's really interesting. Yeah, because yeah. those wheels maybe it's it's easier for smaller organizations to. Yeah, there's a lot of syndicators out there yeah, still running around trying to make yeah, it work. And, yeah. you know, a lot of those guys are like, I'm not going to raise $30, $40 million right now. Yeah. Um, we don't mind going big game hunting. Yeah. Yeah. Heck, heck yeah. I mean, I don't know. You know, it's, it's because the deals make sense. Yeah. And the big deals, we've done a couple of big deals. And there's a lot, like you talk about economies of scale, why multifamily is great. The bigger the deal, mm-hmm. it, again, it can get easier in a lot of ways. And if you mess up, you mess up in a yeah. really, really big, big way. What I am curious about, and now aside from like the numerical, you know, this kind of difference between the middle market and institutional, maybe institutional is getting a little bit better prices, is on a deal-to-deal basis. And I, I, I Brooke, will, Brooke will never tell me this, but are they seeing, oh man, the buyers just aren't really biting. You know, what's that, what's that trend? Have they, has it been easy sailing? You know, I'll ask, I'll ask for 50. They're giving me 50. I'll ask for 60. They're giving me 60. Or are they like, oh, now they're coming in 1 million under. Now they're coming in a couple more percentage points under. And like, that would be, that would be really interesting to know is how many bids were under a little bit and by how, and by what percentage. I can tell you what I've seen in my experience recently, mm-hmm. and it's mostly focused in the Midwest, Indianapolis. So it's not a national perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it's relatively local, but often see some trends. Um, anyway, what we're seeing is that there's not a lot of buyers close to where, you know, the asking, the whisper price. Yeah. No one's really getting to the whisper price. Okay. But we're we're seeing one or two buys. There's there are consistently one to two buyers that'll be in an offering. First off, you know, there's a fraction of potential buyers. It went from 20 to now that's like five. Okay. So that's a big, that's a big point yeah, already. Maybe some are on a really competitive deal. Wow. It's a fraction of people who are, are making an offer. We'll get one or maybe two that are close. And then 10 to 15 to 20% below that is everyone else. And the ones that are close are either a 1031 exchange money, like they have to place a deal and they're going to save a lot on taxes. And so they're like, guys, mm-hmm. let's just do it. So let's pay up. Um, sometimes it's a basis play. We get we get guys coming from New York, California, they come into the Midwest and they see a price per unit that seems low. They don't realize it's in like the worst part of town and they yeah. buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that happens too. Um, but the amount of 1031 buyers, the people who are just paying that top whisper price are getting fewer and fewer and fewer. Mm-hmm. Now, brokers are like, they're trying to hold the line. And they're like, nope, nope, yeah. nope you're, you're way off in your pricing. You're way off in your pricing. Then but then we're like, are there any offers at that price? And they're like, no. Yeah. But then all of a sudden, occasionally, especially on an attractive deal, someone mm-hmm. does come in and pays a stupid price because they're like, you know, they, they were searching the country. Well, it's almost like, you person. know, it's almost like you counting the wins and not counting the point spread. Like, is, yeah. it, it seems like, and yeah. that's why I hope it, you know, you only see the winning bid, but if the point spread is suddenly the margins are starting to get a little close, yeah. then we could, you know, then hopefully that is a, that is some kind of an indicator that the, that the market's getting softer or at least shifting to the buyer. But I think that the biggest thing you just said is like the fact that there are less people in there, that's gotta be a big signal. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and as much as the broker's like, no, give me, give them more money. I bet they're going to the seller and saying, like, would you consider lowering the price? I don't know. I don't know how they, what, what communication, how, this is a good, a good question. How would the broker go back to the seller in that situation? Are they like, 
oh sure you can get a million a it's million like, it's the last i think it's the last thing that yeah. like a broker wants to do oh, okay. it's just come back to a seller because they're basically saying like they're having to admit that the price that they told the seller that they thought they could get they can't get because basically okay. you're hiring a broker to go out and get a price okay Got you it. know or you're going to have to sell it and, and and you ask the broker before you get into it like well what do you think you can sell it for mm-hmm. and there's a typically a bidding process not everyone does this but like you go to several brokers and okay. you, you say, I want you to bid on what you think you can sell this for and tell me how you're going to do it. Huh. And, you know, some put a whole package or sometimes a presentation. Yeah. Sometimes it's an email of, you know, okay, we did our analysis and we believe that we can sell it for this. And, you know, we think we know who we're going to sell it to or whatever. And and so you've often won that deal. Mm-hmm. A broker, you're just getting the listing is is that that's, that's the big thing. Mm-hmm. So you've won that deal saying, I can get you $20 million. Yeah. And then, but, you know, the offers are only coming in at 15 mm-hmm. uh, or 13. Yeah, we're way below, way below in what, in what's, I think it is really frustrating to these sellers is sometimes yeah. the prices are coming, the prices are coming back at what they paid for it. Yep. Oftentimes, mm-hmm. a little bit below, but like oftentimes it's like the price that we would need. I don't know how many deals we've seen like this. The price that we would need for it to work is the price that they paid. Okay. And it, it is what it is. We're yeah. saying, you know, we get it. If that doesn't work for you and it may not, then like, we're not the buyer for you. But like, this is, this is, it's, it's the math and, and, you know, accounting for the risk in the market. Now, if someone wants to overpay and to not take an account, they, they can go ahead and do that. Yeah. But it's, it's not, it's not a happy you know, if you over if you overpaid by ten or fifteen percent, and then the market is down ten or fifteen percent, well, yeah, your equity is maybe wiped out. Yeah. If you have to transact today, if you can, if you finance where you can hold on for another five years, mm-hmm. you're probably going to be just fine. Well, that's what I was wondering too. Even just in the micro of of a single deal, you know, what's the cost of them saying, okay, I I listed it at twenty, people are only coming in at at eighteen, I want to walk away. They're probably wasting a little bit of money um, because they've paid for some stuff to get this deal done. Um, yeah, maybe, but I don't. You know. mean the the seller? Yeah, the seller. Yeah, yeah. A little bit. I mean, the brokers pay it on only when they sell it. Okay. Um, you know, maybe they've um, you know, fixed the property up a little bit, which they probably should have done yeah. to do anyway. Yeah. Um, so they're no, they're just they're just they're just frustrated because they can't. You know, they some people are like, oh, I can get X, great. I you know they see the money in their head. And, yeah. And then it's like, no, we have to hold on to this for five years or hand yeah. it back. Hasn't happened too yeah. much yet. Okay, apartment demand rebounds. Real page, Matt. Um, and then we're going to have to run, yeah. unfortunately. Uh, and this is just a really quick, uh, a really quick note I wanted to, to make here. This and and there's another real page article that was posted in the past week that talked about, um, you know, demand's going up, rent is rent is cooling. Um, and that's not going to sound great to apartment operators yeah. that are still dealing with rising expenses, but but I think demand's a little bit of a leading indicator. And it shows here how in um, Q2, Q3, Q4, 2022, it had the weakest demand since 2009. And um, in 2023, now we're finally getting solid, not spectacular demand. But I think that that's correlated with rent growth. And so it's a it's a positive sign. And the fact that it is increasing from Q1 to Q2 is, is a really good sign. Um, not as strong as it used to be, but it is a it really does support, I think, the idea that we're kind of getting back to normal as best we can. You know, and sometimes absorption is also driven by, you know, because there's a lot of supply that's been coming online. Mm-hmm. And when there's new supply coming online, people start, you know, renting up those apartments. Okay. That can, it can kind of be a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. in, 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 in a way. Um, but, you know, it's if we weren't seeing relatively strong absorption, it would be, it'd be not good because of all of the new supply that's coming online across the country, no matter what market. Yeah. I mean, even markets in the Midwest that have a fraction relative to the Sun Belt, still more than the the average, yeah. you know, by, by quite a bit. Um, I think, you know, like Indy, we like supplied like 2,500 units, like in mm. 22 or so. Now we're doing like 4,000 some this year. So it's almost double in supply. Yeah. But it's not like, you know, the 10,000 that are in some other markets. Yeah. 20,000. It, uh, it did seem like, the rules apply starting 2023 and, and maybe even, you know, 2022, but the rules are applying now. Now, when you're getting this supply, it's yeah. actually going to have an impact. And that's, and that's what you're seeing getting kind of across the country because everything got huge supply after the rent boom of 2021. And it just seemed like the, like gravity exists again. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's solid. It's like kind of like, yeah, this is what we should expect. Yeah. And if it was like a, 
if it was just a huge spike in um, absorption, it'd be a little troublesome from the inflation. I mean, it might be good for us apartment operators, but the inflation story would be not not this good. Yeah, yeah. And just finally, you know, um, they do rent growth is is a little lower than it than it was. Um, and that and it may not be in this. It, it was it's probably in the other article, so yeah, we don't have yeah. to talk about it. But rent growth was uh, month over month a little lower, but it is increasing. Oh no, they do have it. All right, great. <laughs> so you can see the green bar here is the um is the 2023 um month over month change in apartment asking rents. Now they're all it's all lower. It's all lower than 2022. It's all lower than the than the pre-covid average, but it is increasing. Um April's uh you know from from March to April, May and June, the month over month change in US apartment asking rents is increasing to the point where I you know it it's still a negative increase according to real page. Right? Um, I mean, it's still negative. Um, no, well, it could be negative year over year. I'm not sure, but yeah. no, no, these are all positive increases for the, for the, um, it's going, no. This, oh yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. true. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but it's, it's just hard to, to look at that and compare it to 2020. And what I also want to know here, and this is just a very quick teaser for a report that we're working on, you know, we are coming off the wake of the biggest change in apartment rents in recorded history. Now we, you know, the recorded history is is maybe 1940s, but but still, this is the biggest change in apartment rents. Multifamily didn't really, I mean, multifamily as we know it didn't really exist like really much before then. So yeah, makes sense. Well, I, I mean, know, rent, people renting out forever, but I'm just you know, from since we started measuring apartment rents, and I, and I think this is this is really meaningful because there's been lots of times where it's dipped up or dipped down. Really, more times it's crashed down. Um, all of this, all of the runners up for biggest change in apartment rents were uh, were when it went down. Now it went up. To think that there's not going to be some kind of a of a reversion to the mean, it would be foolish. Um, the normal looks bad when you're when you're comparing it to great, to, you know, incredible. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, there's it also tends to go down a little bit and then go back up. You know, there's a little bit of an equal and opposite reaction, and um, we're heading yeah. towards normal. And and I don't think that it is enough that we are going down. I, I think that the trajectory is is closing in on the historical average rather than, you know, th than heading towards something that means that there's a yeah. structural problem. You slide at the end of the tunnel, all this. Yes. Or at least, no, maybe not light. This could be a normal day. Could be partly cloudy. Could be whatever. We're out of the tunnel. We're out of the tunnel. And that's good. <laughs> that's, that's, that's even better. Yeah. Matt, this is great insights. Great collection of reports. Make sure you're signed up to the gray report newsletter you can hop on greatcapitalllc.com slash newsletter that's gonna keep you up to date um twice a week with all the latest you know research reports right. related to multifamily commercial real estate housing and the economy um but matt mentioned um a recent report that we just put out published mm -hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago on upcoming loan maturities in potential distress in the multifamily market oh yeah it has been widely read, has been covered by a handful of outlets, um, BizNow, The Real Deal, um, CRE um, newsletter. Um, it's been viewed, I think, by like millions of times, millions of impressions at least. Um, check it out for yourself, greatcapitalllc.com slash report. We've got another report that Matt mentioned is going to be coming out um, early August, just before the next release of the CPI, all about just digging into like, all these rent trackers, rent, what is rent, what is the actual rent growth right now? And as Matt says, do I take kind of a 538 approach to it? That's right. So um, stay tuned. Make sure you're subscribed. Leave a comment because probably next week we're going to go over comments and uh, read them live. So sure. give us a comment now. Thank you everyone for watching the Gray Report. Um, we'll catch you next week.